Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and this is the end of July, early August episode of Transit Unplugged, the world's top transit CEO podcast heard in 99 countries around the world. And today we're excited to bring you an in-depth interview with Mr. Mike Hirsch, general manager at AC Transit in the San Francisco, Oakland Bay area. What a great interview we have. Mike tells us about his background, how he came up uh, through the maintenance area and served in three of the major transit systems in the Bay Area and now has been as a general manager, CEO of AC Transit for the past five years. We talk about the impact of COVID-19 on his transit system and what they're doing to recover. He's got some great insight for transit executives on how to handle situations like these and uh, gives us a real in-depth inside baseball look at his agency. I think you'll really enjoy this interview with Mike Hirsch of AC Transit. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and we're excited to be with you today with another outstanding interview with one of our nation's leading CEOs, Mike Hirsch who is general manager of AC Transit out in California in the Oakland area. Mike, thanks so much for being with us today on the world's number one transit podcast. Oh, Paul, thanks so much. I'm truly honored to be to be on your show. I see you have just an amazing who's who of cast in the past, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud that you reached out to me, and I'm, I'm very happy to participate today. Yeah, well, great to, great to be with you. As I was mentioning to you uh, in the green room here, your CIO has been promoting you as a great guest for the last few months there, actually for like a year. And so I'm so happy we could finally connect. I don't, I don't want to get in trouble. She's my deputy CIO. She's a, a total industry leader, quite a powerhouse. I've got a very strong information technology team, and we're, we're certainly proud of, of Manjeet Such. We'll just call her out here. She's, she's quite the industry leader, and we're thrilled to have her as part of the AC Transit family. Yeah, she's a big wig in APTA too, right? She's very active on the California Transit Association, APTA. I think every yeah, she's big time. Yeah, every <laughs> group she can get involved with, a very active leader, definitely expresses an interest in a transit career. And it's the, it's the kind of future leader, current leader, growing into future leadership that we need. That's awesome, man. So, Mike, tell us a little tell us a little about yourself and your background, but also just right up front, AC Transit is Alameda County. A lot of people think it's Oakland's transit system. I mean, Oakland's there, right? But it's the, it's the whole county, right? Well, I appreciate you bringing that up. It's actually Alameda Contra Costa Transit, and we don't okay. have Contra Costa. Um, Alameda County is the eastern side. We call it the sunny side of the bay. As far south as Fremont, we actually go as far south as Milpitas, which is technically in Santa Clara County. As far north as Richmond, up in Contra Costa County. Oakland is where our headquarters building is, but we are proud of over 350 square miles, 5,500 bus stops, a third largest transit agency in the Bay Area, bus only, very, very transit dependent population. Long history. We've been here for over 100 years. We've been AC Transit for 60 years this October. Wow, that's great. When we get into this, I'm going to ask you to kind of help us. I always, whenever I have anybody from the Bay Area on, I'm always like, all right, how many transit agencies? And what is, what is happening here? So we'll get into that in a few minutes. Tell us how you ended up there, a little bit about your background and how you got into transit to start with. You know, it's one of those stories where transit found me. I, I'm from Reno, Nevada. 
uh, go railroader, Sparks High School. I went into the Air Force when I was 17. I was a heavy radar technician. I learned electronics and really uh, sound maintenance practices. If you ever want to talk about the very far reaches of the Arctic to Canada and Alaska or the radar sites in Florida and Puerto Rico and Cuba, I've been there. A little bit of a tour of duty in Europe, peacetime during Reagan years. It was a good time to be in the military. I really learned a skill. I had a passion in photography, got offered a job from AGFA, a manufacturer from Germany. I was working on industrial photo machines in the Bay Area after getting out of the Air Force. Territory started to be Oakland and San Francisco. And when I faxed my letter of resignation, my territory was Portland, Reno, Bakersfield. I was living in the car no life. Answer a want ad, for those of you that are old enough to remember classified ads, for a uh, quality control technician for Alcatel, a train control company, now it's TELUS, for the San Francisco Muni subway. And I'm, I'm proud and guilty enough to admit I was servicing photo equipment in San Francisco and didn't even really understand what Muni was and could have saved hours of travel time if I had taken the subway instead of driving my Chevy Lumina to photo lab after photo lab. The train control job was heaven for me. I knew the technology was very ironically similar to heavy radar technology. Job didn't go well. We created a lot of havoc for Muni, but I stuck with it. Muni stuck with me, and eventually Muni hired me. I worked my way through weight power and signal and communications up to deputy general manager for maintenance, did a short stint for safety, security, and technology. Got the call to go run maintenance and eventually operations for Valley Transportation Authority. I know you've uh, interviewed Nuria at the time. It was Michael Burns, but it worked for Nuria for several years. And then the job at AC Transit came open. I wasn't necessarily looking, but several industry contexts said, you really should throw your hat in the ring. I did, and here I am five years in September as a general manager at AC Transit. absolutely love public transit. The job at AC Transit. So now I've worked for three major Bay Area transit agencies. I love them all, but the work at AC Transit has been particularly rewarding. I won't say it's on a challenge with COVID. It's had a huge impact on our workforce and certainly on our ridership, our budget. But we have a very unique transit-dependent ridership. And I, I just feel like I'm really giving back to the community and the job I'm doing. That's awesome. I love hearing stories like that about someone who started out right as a frontline worker and work their way up the agency. That's pretty cool. I've serviced many a switch machine in the, in the Muni subway. I've been in the relay rooms when the signal system was melting down. And I've unfortunately, I've been in the EOC when there's protests. I've been fortunate that I've seen all aspects of the public transit career. The love of my life started as a bus operator. She was a safety manager for a major agency. So I've been able to learn the opera. I'm a maintenance guy through and through, but I've been, I've had a, a partner in life that I've been able to talk about the transportation specific issues, what it's really like to be a bus bus driver. You know, I think in this career, if you're going to be a successful executive, you're likely going to come up one of the one of the ladders, either maintenance or or a transportation, sometimes IT, sometimes finance. But you're going to be in a poised place in your career where you're going to need mentors, you're going to need trusted people that you can talk about the aspects where you may not have the career strength. That you know, I'm you you, you throw me in front of a switch machine and I'll fix it. You put me behind a wheel of a bus and I'll run over every cone on the Apta course or the rodeo course that you can hit. And I, I did that with my team. I tried it. I knew that's not the job for me. I'm happy to crawl under the bus and work on it. But I'm fortunate in my career, I've had uh, the right contacts, the right mentors, the chance to fail, chance to make mistakes and, and learn from those. I, I consider myself lucky and I hope that there's many more years of doing this job. It's uh, For those that don't know how we provide for our communities, 
you need to learn about it. Uh, public transit is not just moving people from point A to point B, but as you know, it's an economic engine. It helps our small businesses thrive, connects people to school. We, we carry, pre-COVID, we were carrying 3,000 students on supplemental service every day. I'm sure you've been doing this longer than I have. The general public doesn't realize just how instrumental the service we provide is. Yeah. Did you say, did you say 30,000 kids? 30,000 supplemental. Yeah. I went to Muni uh, and all the, when I worked at the SFMTA, the students just rode the regular service. We didn't, I didn't even know what a school tripper was. There was so much service yeah. out. I got to VTA Valley Transportation Authority. We had a decent amount of school trippers, nothing like AC transit. And then I got there and I'm like, same question you just asked, 30,000 students a day. <laughs> Quite frankly, it's a significant stressor and challenge for us because with social – we had crushed loads on, on on supplemental service. We don't know what we're going to do with COVID. Obviously, we don't know what the school year is going to look like. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's it's part of what makes working for AC Transit unique is we're, we're proud, of the, proud of that service we provide to the community, and we're not sure how we're going to be able to do it uh, yeah. in just a month. That's something, man. Yeah, I did – we did the same thing in Baltimore where I was at. I had 26,000 kids, but it wasn't all on trippers. They would ride the regular service, and we had some trippers, but uh, that's interesting. I just want to be clear. It's probably about a 60-40 split. It's some on okay. trippers, some on regular services. Yeah. Let's dive into the details. I love to find out your nuts and bolts kind of guy coming up from maintenance, and I came up through operations. Tell me about the nuts and bolts of your operation, number of vehicles, passengers pre-COVID, where you're at sure. now, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so we're just over 650 buses. Uh, if you're not familiar with AC Transit, we're quite proud of our zero emission legacy. We've been operating hydrogen fuel cell buses for over 10 years. We've just added battery electric buses. We have one of the largest zero emission fleets. We certainly have the most hours. We put more hours on hydrogen fuel cell than you can possibly imagine. We're a little over 2,300 employees. Uh, Pre-COVID, daily ridership was at 189,000. We were one of the agencies that was actually going up. The Bay Area is really struggling. The, the, the nation had struggled with ridership. I think we were ahead. We had done a new service plan. We were seeing 5 to 7% ridership gains. Just pre-COVID, about a $450 million annual budget. It seems like a year ago, but it's just a few months ago, we were desperately trying to hire. We were had actually a community employment program where we were training people from the ground up to be qualified to be a commercial bus operator, constantly looking for maintenance folks. And of course, now what we've done is instituted a hiring freeze. We're today operating about 65% of, of pre-COVID service. Basically, we're calling it Sunday with some enhanced Transbay. We do quite a bit of service between the East Bay and Oakland and Palo Alto, Stanford University. We are scheduled to go up to 75% in August, and current ridership's about 65,000, 69,000, varies week to week, slight increase over the past few weeks. Social distancing on the buses, we're leaving people on the corner. We're, we're trying to collect data and figure out adding in some shadow buses, beefing up certain lines to, to try to prevent that. We know for a fact, AC Transit in particular is really transporting essential workers. Our, our frontline workers have been absolutely heroic. We, we're an ATU organization. Uh, the vast majority of our employees are ATU. They have come to work day in and day out. 
you know, we've struggled with mass compliance. We are not collecting fares. We're losing $5 million a month. We went wow. to rear door, rear door only loading. We've taped off the walkway between the ADA seats and the back of the bus. We do still allow wheelchair patrons, mobility device patrons to load through the front door. But that's obviously very limited. No fare collection. We are rapidly prototyping a shield, a barrier shield for the operators so we can get back to fare collection. It's, it's bleak. It's, it's not good news. Yeah. How did you do in the uh, CARES Act funding? We did okay. So we have an MPO, Metropolitan Transportation Commission. They divided us into two rounds of funding. Each first round, we got $80 million. They still have not taken action on the second round. It looks like they're going to take it on July 22nd. So we'll know by the time this podcast airs. Looks like we're getting a total of $114 million. It gets us through this year. It's a lifeline. It gets us through this calendar year. Helps us get started next year, but we predict, uh, we pray there's a vaccine, but we predict if something doesn't change, we're going to be in deep, deep trouble next year. We have started preliminarily preparing a 10%, 20%, 30% service reduction. I previewed that with my board earlier this month. It's very painful. The community is obviously very concerned. I just talked about how essential we are. It's it's counterintuitive that we're literally getting people to, to essential jobs, to critical medical coverage to to shopping but yeah we may have to to re- retract our service it's a it's a tough time it's just dist- it's disturbing yeah. that we might have to do that we're obviously working aggressively in washington dc and sacramento to see if we can find another lifeline that's good yeah well there's possibilities i was on the phone today with a lobbyist about what's going on with with the funding bill and they're thinking it may uh they may just do a continuing resolution until after the election, we're hearing that's one possibility, at least in the middle of July. We'll see what what actually develops. Hey, so you mentioned your board. You said you shared with your board. So tell us about the governance of AC Transit. How are you governed? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, We say we're one of three. I understand there might be some smaller ones now, but we're one of three with a directly elected board, AC Transit, BART, and Denver. Candidly, I was cautioned about coming to work for a directly elected board, and those cautions were wrong. I absolutely love it. One of my greatest frustrations with the other agencies I've worked is is board members not truly engaged in the the business of public transit. As you know, they're often county commissioners or city council members. Um, transit's not their full-time job. With my board, they're full-time focused. They're mostly retired, but their full-time focus is on the business of AC Transit. Now, that can be a challenge. They read their board package. They ask informed questions. I have one or two board members that still know the route system, the route map better than I do. I have transit-dependent board members, more than one, but they're a group I can go to for for guidance they've been with they've been on most of them have been on the board for a very long time they do get go up for re-election every four years i have a seven member board quite frankly i wouldn't change it yes it makes the job of of general manager ceo a little bit more difficult it keeps staff on their toes but i think the policy decisions are made what's best for public transit and just being honest, at other agencies, I saw board members make decisions that were best for their constituent or their best assignment, whether it be city council member or county commissioner. Here, decisions are made what's best for public transit, the public transit user. That's interesting. Yeah. 
How do you divide in a normal, I know that we're not in normal times today, but when you have an elected board like that, that's so focused on it. I know that I, I was a county administrator and worked for a board of county commissioners. And I felt like I divided my time. Probably a lot of the time was spent on kind of what I would call the care and feeding of the board members. So how much of your time do you spend, would you say, working with board members versus working, running the system versus other politics with elected officials, that kind of stuff? So I talked about my military upbringing. I've really practiced that leadership principle of surround yourself with the best people. So I have an incredibly strong operations team. We've already talked about my IT department. That frees me up to really focus on the board, to focus on more industry issues. Right now I'm focused with our MPO, Metropolitan Transportation Commission, and securing the CARES funding. Obviously, I'm in touch with my staff every day, but I I can largely count on them to understand what the assignment is, to know to call me if they need guidance or if they have a conflict. I have found it a challenge in COVID. The board definitely needs more frequent contact. I would encourage the leaders out there, you should be having, if not daily, weekly dialogue with the board members. Some board members need more contact than others. I think it's really important Our world has changed. We've gone from boardrooms, we're reading body language, we're seeing the members in the audience, we can read their body language. We're now doing Zoom. We're giving them a 300-page agenda package and expecting them to decipher it in 72 hours, four days. Their life is a lot harder now. And I think it's the, the general manager's job to understand what their challenges are and to change the way staff are approaching uh, policy matters and making sure that we're preparing the board to do that. Regardless of governance, whether it's a directly elected board or or a more traditional governance model, I would encourage uh, chief executives to really be in touch, even if it's just, hey, you okay? Do you need anything? One of the things we did early on is made sure our board members have PPE. We can't afford to lose a board member right now. They're the heart and soul of the, the agency. They're having to make the most just difficult decisions they've ever had to make. They're help, having to help the, the chief executives make the most difficult decisions we've ever had to make. So we need to take care of them. I love my board, so it's fine to talk to them on a nearly daily basis, some more than others. But if you are wondering how your board's doing, you better pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, how are you doing? Even if it's just a health and welfare check or if it's how do you think the district's doing, uh, those are dialogues you better be having. That's wonderful advice. Who is your uh, chief operating officer? Sal Lamas, Salvador Yamas, Marine Corps, LA Metro, been at AC Transit longer than I have, very active in the zero emission community, very active in the Latinos in transit community. Thrilled to have him on our team. So tell me about your funding structure, fare box recovery ratio, what kind of taxes and those kind of things. So pre-COVID, we were about 17% fare box ratio. Today, we're about 6%. We are fortunate to have a fairly substantial parcel tax. So 28% of our budget is parcel tax. And we forecast that's actually going to be fairly stable as as we go through COVID. Now, parcel tax. So basically, there's a fee on your property tax on your house. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, $98 per per household throughout Alameda County. And that's actually not true. It, there's some complications about which parcels oh, are yeah, yeah. It, 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 We're actually two special districts. I don't want to get too much into the weeds here, but we have a struggle with the southern part of our county, how much service they get. They don't pay as many taxes. But the silver lining is we do have a substantial parcel tax. So we don't forecast the, the housing prices to change 
super significantly as a result of COVID. So we think that's stable. We still have about 30% sales tax, which we're very worried about. The, the CARES Act funding is, is propping that up. The problem is for, for sales tax funded agencies, we're not going to know. We, we get some early indications uh, this month on how the last quarter has been, but we're probably not going to have a clear picture until September, October timeframe. Then we also have fairly significant gas tax funding, probably in a 10% range. But we know, at least initially, we know there was a lot fewer vehicles on the road. We have fairly substantial diesel tax allocations. That's a big question mark for us. It's the pie is about 16 different funds, state transit assistance, parcel tax, sales tax, fare box. We think that diversity is going to help us weather the storm a little bit better than those that are all dependent on sales tax or all dependent on fare box. And we know all is a, a bit of a misnomer. The, the high fare box in the Bay Area is 85% for some of the rail agencies. The high sales tax for some of the agencies is in the 50 to 60%. So I think we're going to touch on the, the complexities of the, of the Bay Area. There are 27 agencies here. Every one yeah. of us funded slightly differently. So it's been very complicated to figure out the, the CARES Act allocation. And it's certainly just being the general manager of agency, the, the funding puzzle is complicated and ever-changing, even in good times. So t- let's just touch on that since you already kind of did. How do you interact with like Muni and BART and all these folks? So... I think we're doing better than we ever have. For, for AC Transit in particular, we kind of consider ourselves the spider web. We we touch, I think, 16 BART stations, Amtrak, several other. We meet up with VTA. Obviously, our transit-based service meets up with Muni. The general managers in the Bay Area have been meeting regularly for, I'm going to go two years, way before COVID. We we recognize the need to to better plan how our services interact. I personally think the issue in the Bay Area is not the number of agencies, but it's really our fair integration. It's There are riders out there that have to take two or three systems, and it's frustrating. They pay a different fare on each of those systems. We have finally standardized on what age of youth is. That was a big step in the Bay Area. Uh, we do have a fair study going on to look at kind of what Toronto's done. I think Vancouver did something similar to figure out how to have a more uniform fair policy. It goes back to the governance questions. The individual boards don't want to give up their policy authority on fares. When I look at AC Transit, we know we have a very largely local ridership. Yes, we have good Transbay ridership. When I talked about 189,000 daily riders, 30,000 of those are going in on trans-based service, we suspect a lot of those are going to be, uh, those that are eligible to telecommute now, work from home, own a car. That still leaves somewhere in the 145, 149,000 range of local riders. It's important for me that their voice be heard in this, this Bay Area network. Are there too many transit agencies? We really need to keep our, our focus on providing for our local transit-dependent riders. We have uh, 65% of our riders are living four times below the poverty level. It's a, it's a segment of population that we really have to stay focused on and not let the cry for this one Bay Area transit override the, the needs of the local r- riders. And I can say that having worked for, at three, what is it, three of the top four size agencies in the Bay Area, we get in buses, we get in trains, we provide public transit. But I can tell you for each of those, San Francisco, Santa Clara County, and Alameda County, the mission is the same, but the ridership is different in each of them. There's nuances, and I think 
uh, we're best positioned to take care of, as I say, over 150,000 daily riders to make sure we're providing the best service possible. That's great. So what next? What, what do you think is coming next? I know it's hard to kind of cast a vision ahead, but I know that a lot of agency and leaders I'm talking to, I'm promoting the concept, and they are too, of trying to create a future-proof bus service for tomorrow by having, uh, I just did a presentation on a UITP webinar last week, and I talked about the importance of a people-centered technology to help future-proof your agency. Things like cashless fairing, zero-emission buses, real-time passenger information, microtransit, online trip book, autonomous vehicles, mobility as a service. What do you see looking in your crystal ball? What do you see coming for the Bay Area and for our industry in general? That's a, that, that might be a tough question. I, I have constantly been looking for silver linings in this, this pandemic. And I can tell you one thing is our schedule was not great. We had challenges with uh, the number of operators that we could, would, could hire in the thriving economy. We were relying too much on overtime. So I think short term, getting our schedule right, having the right amount of service for the right amount of ridership, that's going to be a sliding scale as we come out of this. I personally, and this is this is my Kirsch's opinion, I think we will have a vaccine. Is it December? Is it next June, July? I'm not sure, but I think that that will be a game changer for us. And it gives us an opportunity to connect with our passengers, connect with potential passengers and say, what do you need transit to be in 2021? Uh, we know what we were trying to do in 2019 and early 2020, but we have an opportunity. We're all surveying our riders right now we need to double down on that effort to find out what, what, how can we make your life better coming out of this? The other thing is I think all the headlines about how transit is being jeopardized because of the funding impacts we're taking gives us a chance to have the dialogue with local, state, federal uh, policymakers, decision makers, lawmakers, funders to say it, it wasn't good before the the pandemic, the coronavirus. We have before the pandemic. We have a chance to make public transit better. I've always talked to people about you know if you tried to charge a, every student that walks into a classroom every day two dollars and twenty five cents, it'd be a nightmare. But yet that's what we're still doing on our buses. I just talking for AC Transit. We were somewhat dragging our feet on a mobile app. We have the Clipper system here, which is about to get Clipper two. It's a huge upgrade to our contactless fare payment. But I think the time's over. We, we are going to have to have a fair payment app. Uh, we're rolling it out like within the next 60 to 90 days as a, as a pandemic response thing. But I think going forward, that can make our riders' lives better. So it's tough times, but I think we have an opportunity to pump the brakes, rebuild our networks, fix the connectivity issues, make fair payment easier, re, re- sample our, our riders and potential riders and, and better meet what their needs are going forward. That sounds like a great plan, man. <laughs> you talk, know, you talk, to me in, talk to me in 12 to 18 months. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you try to turn every crisis, you try to at least see the opportunity in it, and it sounds like you're seizing it, so that's good. Anything else you want to talk about uh, before we wrap up about your service or anything? No, I think I think we're good if you're good, Paul. I, again, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast. I'm honored. I think it's incredible what you're doing for the industry. Keep up your leadership, and I'll go have a chat with Manjeet. Yeah, they, actually, you know what? There is one more thing. I'm going to play Columbo on you here. Uh, you, you mentioned early on some hydrogen fuel, and of course, one of my dear friends in the industry is Lauren Skyver, CEO of Sunline Transit. 
is a big hydrogen thing. So just talk to us some about, about that, your leadership role, and, and where you think that's going vis-a-vis zero emission buses, CNG slash electric battery versus hydrogen. Any thoughts on that in general as we close out? Yeah, actually quite a few. Lauren and I are great friends. I, I have to give the previous AC Transit leadership the credit for their leadership in hydrogen fuel cells. It's, it's somewhat of a funny story. When I first got to VTA, um, they had just started some hydrogen fuel cell buses and they were in the Air Force lingo hangar queens. Horrible reliability. Uh, quite frankly, the buses were were decent, but the fueling infrastructure was just an absolute nightmare. Very much tainted my opinion of hydrogen. Got to AC Transit, had my eyes open, willing to give it a chance. There had been a lot of people saying, hey, hydrogen's been coming for 10 years. Why aren't we doing battery? My answer was, well, first off, we've had a huge investment in hydrogen infrastructure. We should be doing both. We are uniquely positioned in the industry to do both. But then I will tell you, the hydrogen buses are incredibly impressive. There are no range issues. They fuel as quick as a diesel bus does. Our reliability has been as good, if not better, than a, than a standard 40-foot diesel bus. It's unfortunate that the industry was somewhat, I think, oversold with the range on battery buses. I hope that resolves, and I hope that in the end, the battery bus range is, is reduced, but we are uniquely positioned. We are have a program to to go to 45 mix, basically 20, 25, 20 bit, 20 BEV, 25, sorry, 20 battery electric bus, 25 fuel cell buses. That's okay. our first phase. We are doing what's commonly called our apples to apples to apples. We have New Flyer Hydrogen, New Flyer Battery Electric, and New Flyer Diesel operating on the same route on the same day. We're collecting the data to give the industry true uh, performance metrics. We still struggle with what's the, as we add more battery buses, what are the implications going to be for the cost of electricity? So we're still in our infancy, but we're respected in the industry and and we're delayed because of COVID on getting that, that apples to apples to apples study fully commissioned. But we were the, in California, I think many of your listeners are aware, we're under mandate to be 100% zero emission by 2040. California Air Resources Board required a plan, integrative, sorry, a, a ZEM co- conversion plan to make that date. We missed by about 18 hours being the first agency to submit. We submitted our plan a couple weeks ago to CARB. Board adopted plan. We're very excited about it. It's on our website if anybody wants to look at it. Anybody that visits Oakland, Alameda County, Bay Area, we're happy to uh, provide tours of either hydrogen or battery electric. We're all in and even though we're distracted by a pandemic, I think climate change and the future of our planet's environment is something we can't lose sight of in this in this short-term crisis. I hope it is a short-term crisis. Yes. Well, that's very interesting. I can't wait to, to see the results of that study, Mike. That'd be awesome. Well, we look forward to publishing it. I, I yeah. think we're probably eight to 10 months off, depends on what happens with the pandemic. But we're, the equipment's here, the chargers are commissioned, the fuel cell buses are here, and we're all in on it. Wow. What a great conversation, Mike. A half hour has flown by really quickly. Uh, it's been an honor to be with you. I, I consider you one of, one of the top leaders in our industry. Your background is fantastic. And I think where you're leading the agency and your heart's in the right place, uh, I can't wait to see what's coming next for you. Thanks, Paul. I sure appreciate it. Be well. Be well to your listeners. Let's all hang together. Wear your masks and we'll have a huge party when this thing's over. Thanks, Paul. There you go. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. 
Thanks for listening.